High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 176 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 176 hits for a gentleman in 1961 by the name of Willie Mays. That uh, was a pretty good season. He was 30 that year, so on on the uh, downslope of his career, right? Wow. (laughs) I will take Willie Mays on the downslope of his career over almost anybody who's ever played the game of baseball. And and, and really, it's... We're all, we don't choose when we enter this world, right? To, to paraphrase the great Gandalf the Grey. But, uh, but all we can do is the, the best with the time that we're given. But I do wish sometimes that I had been alive to watch Willie Mays play in person. That would have been a treat. That, you know, it's, so I'm trying to think, like, what would have been the one game? This is good content fodder for an article, an offseason article. If you could pick one Willie Mays game, like, what would you pick? Would you, would you pick the catch? Would you pick the four home runs? Would you, you know, sneak in his walk-off homer so you can get to see Juan Marichal and, and, and Warren Spawn? Like, what would you pick for a Willie Mays game? Wow, that's that's a great question. I don't think I would take the four-homer game because hmm. um, selfishly I've checked that box. I covered Sean Green's four-homer game with the Dodgers, and that was pretty awesome. And he had 19 total bases, which is a major league record. So even he was better than Willie Mays that day. But um, uh, he wasn't a home run hitter. That's not how he defined himself, and yet he hit, hmm. you know, 600 something of them um i i would probably take i think i would probably take one of the all-star games where he played the whole way you know and then you got to see everybody else at the same time that, that's probably what games. i would do yeah yeah that's a good that's a good out that's i think he just did a spoiler for my eventual column because yeah they played the whole game and they really took it seriously and the fans took it seriously and this is the only time you would get to see i don't know ted williams face up against uh sandy koufax or something like well those eras don't match up but you get the point uh you know that's the only time we got to see the american league in the national league like and they took it really really seriously they did and um i i I got an anecdote that i used for my little nemesis series that i uh, wrote uh while we were all locked down in pandemic times in 2020 with no baseball and no really anything um and it was about uh, rick monday and tom seaver and it was about the first time they faced each other uh which was in the all-star game at the astrodome and so if you are a subscriber i suggest you look up that story that was a fun one for me to write i do concur that was a fun one for me to read as well but we are not here to talk about willie mays in the all-star game we are here to talk about the 2022 giants uh opening day is upon us it is uh, opening day eve we're recording this on thursday and so uh tomorrow you have actual baseball giants versus marlins and it's at home, like opening day proper is in San Francisco for the first time in like, what, 15 years? Yeah, 2009 was the last time.
time the Giants opened at home, and obviously this wasn't by design. They were supposed to open on the road uh, against the Padres and then the Brewers, and uh, and that week has been Manforded out uh, through, through the rest of the season instead. Uh, so so the Giants open at home, and and I think it is kind of fitting that they get to raise the NL West championship flag uh, at home in a true opener. Uh, they send Logan Webb to the mound, who is unbeaten in his last 22 starts. Um, and I think we've said that enough times when he was facing the Dodgers in the in the playoffs last year that that we can't jinx him at this point. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a run it back crew. I mean, they, they won 107 games and 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 Buster Posey retired and and they didn't really make a whole lot of changes uh, other than uh, their rotation. They probably feel better about their rotation at this point to start the season than they did last year to start the season. In fact, Farhan Zaidi in a, a podcast interview just told Tim Kawakami that very thing the other day. So um, that's, I think, going to be the, the tone setter for this team is that rotation and Logan Webb, and they'll get to do it right on the shores of McCovey Cove. And uh, the, the rotation is predicted to do well, even by the comp- the same computers that generally dislike or dismiss the Giants. Uh, Fangraphs has them as the sixth best rotation in baseball. Um, you have different outlets. I think MLB.com had them five. Uh, this is as strong a rotation as the Giants have had entering a season since the, the championship era, since, you know, you've had uh, a good Lincecum, since you've had a good Kane, since you've had, um, boy, I would say 2011 was the last time you could just look at the Giants' uh, rotation and say, wow, because you didn't have the question marks of Lincecum in, in 2012 or, or something like that. So is this as strong a rotation or, or am I making too much of it? Yeah, you know, I, I read the Fangraphs article that lists uh, sort of the power rankings of the rotation. And, and power rankings, just as a concept, never, ever uh, devolve into shouting and arguments, right? Everyone agrees Certainly with not. power rankings. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, the Giants are sixth, which, you know, I, I guess that sounded about right to me, even though I think that you could make an argument that they should be higher. What was sort of surprising to me is just how everybody else was ordered. I, I mean, I would have thought that one of the teams that would be ahead of the Giants would be the Dodgers. Nope. I would think that one of the teams that would be ahead of the Giants would be the White Sox. Nope. Uh, they're not ahead of them either. Neither are the Astros. Um, they have the uh, um, the Yankees as the number one rotation and, uh, and followed by the Brewers. And okay, that one you sort of figured. They have probably yeah. as strong a top three as anyone in baseball. And then they've got the Phillies, uh, number thir- uh, three, followed by the Mets, although the Mets take a huge, huge, huge hit with Jacob deGrom out. I think the Mets should be a lot lower than that. Uh, and then the Padres at number five, and I think it's uh, Sean Manaya that, that helps to boost their ranking up quite a bit because Mike Clevenger is not having a good spring. Uh, Chris Paddock, they just traded away for a Rogers brother. And um, yeah, so I, but yeah, I think the Giants probably can lean on that rotation to be a strength. They, Their number five starter, Alex Cobb, was throwing 97 with power splitters and sinkers, and he's started opening days in the past for other teams. So um, I, I think they really like their depth, and they like the depth beyond those five guys, which is where they probably have the biggest advantage uh, when you stack them up head-to-head against the Dodgers. They've got more uh, starting pitching depth. So um, th- that'll be, I think, that that has to click, and that has to be a super above-average performing um, 
portion of the team for the Giants to, you know, to win 85 plus and maybe 90 plus, 95 plus games. Yeah, and I think that's an important point where you, you point the Yankees out are number one in this uh, fan grass projection. But that's because Garrett Cole is projected to have a, a Cy Young season. He's proje- uh, projected to be about six wins above replacement. And the rest of the Yankees rotation, it's not a bunch of bombs like they're, they're solid pitchers. But the way the Giants have spread their rotation out, it seems a little bit more like the uh, equitable of a distribution and even behind them you have in the rankings you have uh, them predicting good things for Matthew Boyd when he comes back and I think the Giants have built a rotation that is not just boy what happens if this guy what happens if DeGrom goes down you know what happens if this guy goes down I think it's it's not a mix and match plug and play rotation it's just uh, it it seems like they've just stretched out a lot of talent in all five spots and then they have uh, some good depth underneath them yeah and they don't list uh Kirby Castro, they don't list Sean Jelly, they don't list uh, you know a lot of the other people that we know could take the ball for the Giants this year. So um, and, and really, I, I don't know if I've ever covered a team that has looked as good from a rotation standpoint in spring training, uh, just in terms of strike throwing and and keeping the ball in the park. I mean, you give up a lot of cheapy home runs in the Cactus League. The Giants. Uh, rotation pitched close to 50 innings and gave up three homers all spring. And one of them was uh, was in Maryvale. Uh, I forget who, the brewer who hit it. Maybe it was Rowdy Telez or one of those Rowdy Rocky guys. Um, and Logan Webb was throwing a, a cutter that he was messing around with. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw that pitch in the regular season. So, uh, yeah, that I'm, I'm not worried at all about that. Um, so yeah, it's it's home run suppression and throwing strikes and getting off the mound quickly. That's exactly what the Giants wanted to see, and they they saw that all spring long. And I will say that it was a concern of mine heading into the spring, not necessarily just the rotation, but the team as a whole, because for the entire lockout, the Giants were prohibited from talking to these guys. And so if they were scouring the film and running the data, they couldn't like pick up a phone and call Alex Wood and say, you're pronating your left gibbous bone or I don't know, whatever in the heck they do now in modern front offices. Like they couldn't. If they had good data, if they had information, if they had an idea, they couldn't transmit that, at least, you know, not ethically or legally. So uh, it was a concern for me that these guys would come in and then maybe get overloaded with information or maybe they would have a bright idea that they couldn't communicate in January that they would try and all oh, that. Yeah, OK, that doesn't work. Let's move on to this. And instead, it was just seamless for the rotation. And if you are predicting good things for the Giants, you're predicting good things for the rotation. So that is a about as encouraging of a, a spring, a, a truncated spring as you could have. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and we probably should not talk about Tyler Beatty just for our own self-preservation to keep this podcast evergreen because we don't have a roster yet. By the time you're listening to this, we, you probably will know the Giants roster. Um, I was told that Tyler Beatty was told that he will be on the team. Um, that may change. Trades can happen at the last minute. So if you're listening to this and Tyler Beatty has already been shipped off somewhere else, we apologize for this, but Tyler Beatty was throwing 98 uh, this this past spring, and he's still got a lot of refinement to do. We know that. Um, He's also a guy who the lockout happened at a terrible time for him. I mean, he needed a nice long spring training. Uh, he needed a lot of communication, I think, with the Giants over the offseason. Uh, he's a guy who, you know, was his Tommy John rehab uh, comeback was not super smooth. And I think there were a lot of reasons for that. The Giants didn't do his surgery. The Texas Rangers doctor did. Um, you know, they, they uh, in some ways, it wasn't a, um, 
an ideal rehab because he had to do it all during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, and, and this is a guy who also has gone through two baseball administrations where they've tried to turn him into a sinker slider guy at San Jose just to get him to throw more strikes. And then they're like, no, you got to throw fastball up curveball like everybody else. I mean, they tried to turn Logan Webb into that kind of pitcher too, until he said, Hey guys, I, I just can't throw like that. So, um, you know, he's, he's been pulled, pulled and pushed in different directions. And, and I don't think, uh, you know, I, I he's, he's had a lot of just bad, Bad timing happened to him. So um, I know that there's going to be an impulse for a lot of Giants fans to say, okay, yeah, next. You know, we've seen it. Uh, if it hasn't worked out by now, it's not going to work out. But the Giants are an organization that will go out and they'll polish up somebody else's Tyler Beatty who, who, you know, gets DFA'd. So they might as well try to polish up one of their own while they've still got him. So it's, you know, I, I don't rule out the fact that they could turn Tyler Beatty into someone who is is useful and uh, and if they can he certainly has the, um, the the arm strength now and the health and the arsenal to be able to be a useful pitcher yeah there was a twitter thread from kyle body last night uh, he is the founder of driveline baseball which is uh, hugely uh, influential in the pitching revolution you know all the stuff that they're doing if you've probably heard of driveline uh, but he's talking about how there is um stuff is stuff without command is much better than you know command without stuff and that seems obvious but he's going he's he's putting out graphs on this twitter thread and it was very illuminating and i didn't think about it in terms of tyler Beatty because there is stuff that stuff that there are things that you can't teach and tyler Beatty has like the stuff you cannot teach he has that fastball it moves it darts the breaking ball you've seen it and yeah, there is a, a, a lack of refinement, you know, especially as he gets closer to 30, that is is not there. And maybe since he's he's been drafted since 2014, he's been a top prospect. He's He's been up years ago. And it just seems like, okay, next, like you say. But gosh, that is, it just seems like the guy that would click. It seems if Tyler Beatty were on the Orioles, the Giants would figure out a way to acquire him. And I think that with the 28-man roster, we talked about this last time, it's the perfect time for the Giants to just give it that one last go. I know he's out of options, but like like you said, it's a great point. They don't want him to be someone else's Gosman. They don't want him to be someone else's uh, success story. Even they don't, they don't even want him to be someone else's like Zach Littell. They just want, like, they see stuff and they say, if we can't work with this stuff, there's something wrong with us, not him. Yeah, and in fairness, you know, I, I made the Gosman comparison uh, just, just sort of as a means of a baseline comparison. But, you know, it was pointed out, I think, on Twitter, and fair enough, that Kevin Gosman had thrown a thousand innings in the big leagues, you know, uh, by the time that the Giants got him. Uh, you know, he was... Uh, what, 29, but he'd, he'd thrown, what, yeah, probably more than a thousand innings in the major leagues. And, and so there is a lot that he learned in those thousand innings and a lot of sort of, um, I guess, a baseline of, of understanding of himself that he has uh, that someone like Tyler Beatty doesn't, who hasn't pitched a lot in the big leagues. But, you know, when we did see him last when he was healthy in 2019, he was pretty good. And he was really good in the spring of 2020 before, um, you know, uh, elbow ligament go boom. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 you never know. It's prospects are tough. Uh, Pitchers are that last level of development can be so funky. They, they they use the word attrition all the time when they talk about um, your inventory of, of pitching prospects and you're just going to lose some people to attrition. Um, But I think the important thing to remember is these are 
people too. You know, it's not, we talk about inventory and we talk about them in terms of them being something that you can put on a shelf, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. These are careers. These are people who are trying to make it work and, and have, have worked really hard at it for a long time. So, um, you know, I'm sure everyone is rooting for, for a good outcome for Taylor Beatty at this point. Has that ever been, not to get too in the weeds, but has that ever been hard for you or is it easier for you as, as a writer who is in the clubhouse a lot in the normal years, uh, to personify, to, to give some humanity to these players. Cause it's really hard for me to not think of them as, Oh, assets, chips, trade chips. Uh, you know, this guy, he should be, you know, a good cog in the machine. It's hard for me not to use that language. And I've, I've like tried consciously not to in recent years, but it's really hard for me because for a decade, I was thinking cog, you know, asset chip, and it's they're not. They are they're they're humans, you know. By gosh, they're humans. And I think that's getting tougher and tougher with how front offices treat them. I mean, they really do mm-hmm. treat them as commodities uh, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, otherwise they wouldn't. It wouldn't be humane to do what happened to like an Ashton Godot last year, where he gets DFA mm-hmm. like nine times and he's on different planes, going different places. You know, I, I saw the news today that uh, the Diamondbacks uh, DFA'd Caleb. Beregar. And, you know, I, I, I got to know Caleb Beregar a little bit when he was a giant, not a whole lot because it was during the pandemic, but really nice guy, tough competitor. You know, it was really a, a blow for him to be DFA'd by the Giants. And and you think, OK, I'm going to get a fresh start with a new organization, going to get some fresh eyes on me, going to hear what their coaches have to say. And you're in their organization for like two weeks and then you're DFA'd again. And who knows, maybe another team will claim him. But it's yeah, if 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 the, the industry was better, I think that there would be more rules that would stop like all of the claiming and stuff from happening, because in some ways it really is inhumane. Uh, but for for me, uh, being in clubhouses again and, and thank goodness, I'm very, very grateful that we can be in clubhouses again. Um, I, that that does mean everything because it's it's I think that. What I can do, what I can bring to the table is is try to tell you personal stories and try to tell you who these players are. Because I don't think we write and talk enough about just these players and their personal stories. You know, it's it's all about uh, um, the analytics and and um, all of the the models and and the performance in fantasy baseball and and the way front offices value players and and in a lot of ways the executives uh, become you know even bigger uh, stars or, or written about more than than the players are. And I don't know, something about that. Some, I mean, I, I'm fascinated by how uh, Farhan Zaidi puts a team together. And I, I feel like I could never write enough about, about Farhan and, and Scott Harris. But at the same time, I, I'll feel like, oh, gosh, I really need to write more about the guys on the field who are putting in the sweat equity and who are doing it and, and, and making sure that I'm not crediting coaches first and not crediting front offices first for finding this person, but, but crediting them for the work that they put in to, um, to, to, to carve out a career for themselves. I mean, I think that that is, if I can, you know, be uh, a little uh, unhumble. What's the word? It's not unhumble, de-humble. Uh, if I can be a little arrogant, I think that's why we make a good team. I think it's uh, you are, you know, you are down and you are doing the, the clubhouse and you're talking to these guys. You're you're presenting the humanity, you're presenting their their journey. Um, you are writing from that perspective. And I'm coming at it like a know nothing idiot fan from the back. And I'm trying to figure out, well, you know, how does this relate to Michael Morse in 2014 or or what is what you know, what does this nerd stat say? And I think that that is a, a good peanut butter and jelly combination. Um, and sometimes we'll overlap. You know, and I'll do a humanity 
uh, it, I'll recognize that these are actual human beings, and and sometimes you'll get in the weeds and do a statistical story. But um, I I just love reading your stuff because it's like it's nothing that I would write, and yet it's like something that I know that I need to read. So uh, I didn't mean this to be a praise session, but uh, <laughs> good job, good job out there. Oh, good job, gold stars for both of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't know, not to get a little meta in this podcast, but to give dear listener slash reader a, a window into our process. I mean we have a Slack channel that we're on pretty much every day. And, and we'll, you know, post some of the things that we're thinking of doing. And hey, does this step on you? Hey, does this step on you? And it's very rare, I think, that, that and correct me if I'm wrong, that we're work, we want to work on the same thing because uh, we're, we're usually looking at, at uh, different stories or, or coming at them from different ways. And um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it really, I, I want to know who's peanut butter and who's jelly. But, um, <laughs> and if I'm jelly, I get to pick my jelly flavor uh, or crunchy or creamy. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how we will draft the, those, but. Uh, I think I would be Nutella because that would mean that I'd be allergic to myself. And oh, I think no. That's a, that's a very good, I think that's a very good metaphor. It's peanut butter, Nutella, and I'm very sweet and nutty, but, you know, I can't really quite. Take, take myself. Are you allergic to hazelnuts? I am, yeah. Or oh. at least I was as a kid and I've never messed with it. So, yeah. Ooh, it might be worth Not trying. Much. Just a little dab. Just a dab. Just try a dab. <laughs> Can you put it I on your live- skin? Put some Nutella on your skin. See if you have a reaction. Well, I'm not going on a date. Like, I'm not going to put it like you know, <laughs> under my <laughs> under my glance. Um, no, it's it's uh, it, the one time that we did like sort of like go rut row, like we are working on the same story was the Mike Yastrzemski thing. And then we ended up like pairing on it. And that's one of the I, that's one of my favorite personal stories that I've ever written. And it was a collaboration with you. Yeah, I, I, I love the collaborations. And, and, you know, whenever Eno sends me a message that says, hey, what do you think about this? Do, you, do we have a uh, an idea for a story? We could do together. I'm like, yes, let's do that. Um, <laughs> partly because Eno has a rabid audience, and you know that that everyone's going to read it. But but also, it's just you know, I'll give him a couple sections to. Okay, you focus on this. I'll focus on this, and then he'll send me something that often is way different than what I thought I was going to get, and it's almost hmm. always in a good way. Um, so, hmm. uh, and and it's it's we write in such different voices that I don't try to meld them together. I'm just like chunk of Eno, chunk of me. Chunk of Eno, <laughs> chunk of me. They, the the transitions between them may not be so great, but yeah, they're they're fun to do, and and that's one thing that I think is awesome about where we work is we get to collaborate with Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark and Andy McCullough and go down the list of you know Bricaroli, um, you know other beat writers from other teams. Like when you know the first story that really was a, was a, a big story about the Rogers twins was when Tyler Rogers was still in AAA, and I, I uh, reached out to Dan Hayes, our twins writer, and said, "Hey, how would you feel about doing a collaboration?" And so we did the Mirror Men story in in, in spring training that year, uh, 2018, something like that. And uh, and I still go back to that piece, and I I feel proud that we were the first kind of um, outlet to write a big a story about the Rogers twins and how unique they are. And so that's, that's the fun part of the job, I think, is to really look for those stories that haven't been told yet. And, and, and we have the resources and the personnel to really, really be able to you know, leverage it to, to our best utility. And while we're on the subject, I mean, uh, first of all, I just have to get the joke in that chunk of Eno, that is the uh, super chunk Brian Eno collaboration from 1993, <laughs> a fantastic album. Um, but we have to talk about that. The, the Padres just traded, for the the Taylor Rogers uh, part of the twins, and he's going to be so you have Taylor Rogers in the same division as Tyler Rogers, uh, and it it feels 
like a missed opportunity, not just for the twins who passed over Tyler Rogers twice in the Rule 5 draft, which will always bother me. It bothers me even more than the Giants passing over Mike Stanton in the draft with the pick that they had from Mike Stanton, the reliever. Uh, Mike Stanton turned it into Giancarlo Stanton. That bothers me, but nothing bothers me more than the twins passing up a literal opportunity to get twins. And the Giants kind of sort of passed that opportunity up because Taylor Rogers was available. Um, this will segue, I guess, into closer talk, but uh, I, I would have liked to see the Giants get Taylor Rogers. I mean, they feel really good about the lefties that they have. They've got Jake McGee. They they've got Jose Alvarez. They've got Harleen Garcia, who, who may be the shakiest of the three. Um, but, you know, they, they feel like they're pretty backed up on, on lefty pitching. Um, you know, they don't have that next wave. They don't have a, a Barriger, but, you know, they're, they're going to try to bring along Sammy Long um, or I, I believe it's Sam Long now. Um, and, and I'm sure they'll want to stretch him out as much as they can to as a starting pitching piece. But he's also someone who could work a shorter bursts as a lefty reliever. But, you know, they, they we're going to find out just, I think, from the outset, just where the pecking order is going to be between Jake McGee and, and Camilo Duvall. And I think um, I, I really didn't worry about it too much when I was like prepping for my fantasy draft. It's like, OK, one's going to get a lot of saves and one's going to get a lot of holds and it's just going to be fine. Um, I do, however, wish that the, the uh, Padres had consulted with me before they traded for Taylor Rogers because I did draft Robert Suarez. <laughs> And and now I'm thinking, gosh darn it! Oh, I thought he was going to be the closer there. So, um, but I digress. I once again made this about my fantasy team. Um, it's going to be fun. It was eventually going to go there because uh, I had my fantasy draft last night, and it was uh, hilarious because at one point I looked up and I had seven Dodgers on my team. <gasps> um, yeah, and I I want to just say that this is, uh, you know, I think it's a, an honest strategy on my part because if they stink. It's kind of like, yeah, well, my fantasy team stinks. However, you know, there is a silver lining, so to speak. And if they do great, the silver lining is my fantasy team, like me. Like when my fantasy team, when my fantasy team wins, good things happen for me. And I'm talking financially. When Mark Melanson got, I don't know, 13 saves for the Braves, it pushed me literally. It was Mark Melanson, a waiver claim that pushed me over the edge and allowed me to get this beautiful record player that I'm looking at right now. It's like a very, nice quality audiophile record player and every time I look at it I think Mark Melanson and fantasy baseball and that's just the gift that fantasy baseball gives that is uh that is impressive I hope you enjoy that record player and um and uh yeah I yeah I I, <laughs> I I don't want to see anything mean I mean Mark Melanson tried his best as a giant it didn't work out but you know he's still going and he's still going to get saves again this year probably uh wait a second oh my gosh I just got a ma- uh, in the mail right now. Giants set their opening day roster. What? Do you want to just like we're gonna do a little reveal together? Oh, okay. Right. All right. Oh, I'm calling uh, it up. Here we go. All right. So it is Luke Williams and not Jason Vossler. Um, so Luke Williams is on the roster. Jason Vossler was optioned. Uh, you have Tyler Beatty, John Brebia, like we talked about. Uh, is on the roster. Uh, that would be, I think, the only surprises. So I'll go pitchers. It's Alvarez, Beatty, Brebia, Cobb, Disclafani, Duvall, Garcia, Leon, Littell, Long, uh, Jake McGee, Radon, Rogers, Webb, and Wood. I don't think there are any surprises there. I, I think um, that was pretty much what I was, it, once we knew Beatty was on and that, and you pumped Brebia up last episode and I agreed. Uh, I think that was it. You've got Bart, Sally as the catchers, Belt, Crawford, Dubone, um, Estrada, Flores, Luke Williams, outfielders, Duggar, Peterson, Ruff, Slater, Yastrzemski. 
I guess the only surprise then is Luke Williams over Vossler. Well, you got Tommy Listella starting on the IL. That's the big, uh, that's probably yeah. the big news out of this, I think. Um, which I, I think we kind of figured was going to happen um, just based on the fact that he was supposed to play second base in the last exhibition game and he was scratched. So, and he was sore when he tried to play second base the time before. Um, which, I mean, that, that kind of points to if, if you can't have a guy play back-to-back games in the field, even with the DH, it's, it's, it's going to be tough, I think, to, um, to have them you know, be on the team. So they're going to try to get him right. They're going to try to get him in a position where he's, he's feeling less post-surgery discomfort. Um, but just watching him walk across the field when they had a hitters meeting in the visiting uh, clubhouse at Scottsdale Stadium last week, and he was just limping, just crossing the field. I thought, this guy's not going to be ready for opening day. There's no way. So um, that, that's a big loss because he, he, he was really swinging the bat well. Uh, he's a guy that they love against right-handed pitching, and that leaves him short a left-handed bat. So they went out and they got Jock Peterson because they – Figured with the DH, they were short a left-handed bat, um, and and now they're they're down one. So, yeah, it's you, you, you know you're never going to have everybody for all 162 games. And Gabe Kapler's sort of po- uh, polish and spin on this is that uh, well, you know, we're just going to miss some games at the front end instead of some other point in the season. That's you know a nice nice you know candy coated way of putting it, but. Um, you know, it, it, it is it does remind you that this is an older position player core. And even though they got younger at catcher, um, they're one year older at every other position. And I guess one of the other surprises is that we have 15 pitchers in 28 spots. Um, that is, I think, when I was doing the mental calculations, I they usually do 13 pitchers, 13 batters. And I just sort of like upped it by one, 14 batters, 14 pitchers. But with the shortened spring, I, I guess it makes sense. You're going to have, you know, you don't want to stretch your starters out to six, seven innings if you can help it, even if they're going well. Uh, so 15 pitchers is the roster. And I think that'll probably stick for most of April, right? Uh, I would think so. I mean, yeah, 15 pitchers doesn't surprise me just because I, I don't think they felt that maybe the 14th position player was going to be all that compelling. Um, I mean, if they had 14 really compelling position players, then maybe they do um, go that route. Um, and they did say all along that they thought that they would go 14-14, uh, and they would only really pivot from that if they were worried about their rotation. Well, their rotation pitched great, and they're still going with uh, 15 pitchers. And and I think, uh, didn't I see somewhere that the Yankees are going with 16? Uh, so, wow. yeah, and a lot of teams are going with 15. And, and if they weren't going to be at 15 pitchers for this first homestand, I fully expected they would be with 15 pitchers for that first road trip when they got to go to Cleveland, then play the Mets, then play the Nationals, then they lose their off day on the way back and have to play one game at Milwaukee. So, um, yeah, that whether they started there or not, I figured they were going to get there. And so I don't see any surprises on this roster, really. They obviously thought that they could use the extra bat on the bench from the right side with Luke Williams over Vossler. And he's the guy who pretty much makes it over Tommy Listella going on the injured list. So now the question is, how long will Lamont Way Jr. be out? And I think that's something that we'll find out soon. And we know Evan Longoria will be back in – uh, mid-May some point, um, assuming things go well with his finger. But yeah, we've got our squad. We've, we've got the squad here. All right. I'm looking. I'm counting. Let's see. One, two. Uh, let's see. Three, four, five. This is exciting. Podcasting. Listen to count. <laughs> 
six. I'm, I'm counting six players. I could be off by one or two, uh, six or seven players who weren't like key cogs. There's that word again of the 2021 team. So this really is just not a lot of turnover. This is the bullpen you are used to. This is the infield that you are used to, give or take, you know, especially when Longoria comes back. This is the outfield that you are used to, give or take, you know, with Jock Peterson in place of Alex Dickerson. This is the 2021 Giants with a fresh coat of paint. Yeah. Uh, Joey Bart is Buster Posey. Jock Peterson is Alex Dickerson. I think you're going to see a lot more Tyro Estrada, who basically becomes Donovan Solano plus more. And I think you're going to see a lot more Darren Ruff. He's going to face more right-handed pitching. So those are really the two guys that I think that this front office is most excited about giving more opportunity to is Estrada and Ruff. And uh, those guys probably need to come through and have pretty good productive seasons, I think, for this offense to get uh, sort of unstuck and get going right away. I don't think I've ever puffed up a player more than Estrada as far like relative to what he's done in the minors and limited time in the majors. Like I have such a confidence in him and I don't know if it's uh, kind of uh, been transferred from the front office or or if it's uh, like I don't if it's, it just felt like when I watched him last year, I was watching a guy who knew where he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to swing at, how he was supposed to do things on a baseball field. And I feel like I am just setting myself up for the biggest fall. Like I'm overrating this guy. On the other hand, he, you know, maybe he's just Carlos Correa. I don't know. Like he's just, to me, I just love watching that guy play and I can't really put my finger on it. So once again, I'm going to pivot back to my fantasy team. Um, yes. Uh, my, my very last pick was a backup second baseman. I had to take a backup second baseman. I love my second baseman. It's Ketel Marte. I really like Ketel Marte. I have him too. We'll have, we'll have Kettle Chattel, uh, Kettle Chatter Chatter all, all year. Yes. Um, so, uh, and we can even sip some Kettle One while we're doing it. Um, uh <laughs> I'll have the Rangipur line, please. Um, yeah, so Marte Parte, Marte Parte, and you know you can have a double Marte Parte with Starling Marte. That was Greg Papa's favorite phrase on the Giants post game show, and when, <laughs> whenever Starling Marte would walk off the Giants. Uh, but I know we're over time, so I will go get back quickly to the point about my very important fantasy team. Um, I had uh, the last pick in the draft, and I had to pick a backup second baseman. And like Jeff McNeil was sitting out there, and you know uh, Nick Madrigal was sitting out there. I took Tyro Estrada. I'm like, what the heck? Ooh. What the heck? This could blow up. But I, I like. Like Kettle Marte is my starter, so I will take uh, Estrada as my backup. And I, one of the reasons I like him is because he's going to hit like third, <laughs> or like he's going to hit in a prime spot in the order. I think he has been all spring, so um, it'll be really interesting to see where Tyro Estrada falls in the different lineup configurations. Because I, I don't think he's going to be hitting eighth and ninth. Man. This is exciting stuff. This is the Bags and Brisby podcast where we break news. This is opening day rostered news, and we have broken it. Uh, and it's up to you to fix it. All right. Uh, this has been episode 176 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank the dog on my lap that didn't make any noise. I'd like to thank the tree trimmers out front who are using manual tools instead of power tools to start their job. Uh, and I'd like to thank you, the listener. We will be back on Monday. We will talk about actual baseball games, results, what we've seen. It should be fun. Thank you, and we will see you then. <laughs>